I'm Josh, the teaching minister here. If you are a guest with us, welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you're joining us for the first time online or perhaps just returning, welcome. We're so glad you're here. I want to say hi to Phillips and the Hodges family and the rest who are joining us right now online in your living room, your car, wherever. We're just glad to be a part of this gathering. Listen, today is a fun, special day. We're doing a lot already as a church, and you're going to see things continually speed up around here. This morning, at uh, between the 9 and the 11 o'clock, we had, as Evan mentioned, our kindergarten promotion. And so they were out here, a whole bunch of them, a gaggle of kids or a herd, a flock, whatever the term needs to be for children. And they were gathered together, getting excited about what's coming in the fall. We have starting points starting tomorrow night, which by the way, if you have yet to go through starting points, I've been here 30 years. Yeah. Have you been through starting points? It's where we get to, as a church, start at the same point and take steps together as a body. But we're going to be doing a lot of different things, getting you resources, because we want, as a church, to be active in our faith, to be activated in our faith. It's often been said that the church is the hope of the world. I don't think that's true. Here's why. The church is not the hope of the world. The activated church is the hope of the world. See, here's the thing. Simply sitting together at home or in a room does not make us the people of God as God has called us to be. But it's as we are walking in step with him that we are partnering with God that we get to be the hope of the world. In our church, we believe this 110% that God's church is the greatest hope of the world because we represent the only hope whose name is Jesus. And so as we get into this month together, we're going to look at what does it look like to be active and to be activated as a body and as individuals this morning. Now, I don't know a lot of stuff about each of us, but I do know one thing that we all have in common is this. We all want to know what's next. Want to know what's next? Do you remember, show of hands, if you're over the age of 10, if you remember what it was like to have to wait for the next episode of your TV show to come on, not at the click of a Netflix button, but for another week, and you'd come, maybe it's a two-part episode, and at the end of the first part, it'd come to that cliffhanger. You know the part, music swells, maybe there's a tear on the face, or there's a cliffhanger, or whatever it is, and it fades to black, and the words, to... B, what's that word? Continued. And you're like, no, because you want to know what's next. How does it end? And it's not just with TV shows. We want to know what's next when it comes to every part of our lives, don't we? Some of you parents, you've been sweating bullets because you're not sure what's next when it comes to the school year. Can I get an oh yeah from all the parents? Uh, Some of us, we want to know what's next when it comes to our job. We want to know what's next when it comes to a relationship. We want to know what's next. Maybe if you're a student, you're going, what's next for me? I hear I'm not going to school. Wait, no, I am going to school. No, wait, I'm not going to school. What's next? We all want to know what's next. Now, if you've grown up in church, we don't often put it that way. We won't say, well, I just want to know what's next. Rather, we ask it this way. We say, we want to know what is God's will for me? That's our version of what's next, right? And so we say, well, what is God's will? What is God's plan? What is God's desire for my life? I want to know 
what's next? God, what is your will for me? Should I go to this school or that school? Take this job or that job? Should I marry this person or marry that person? Should I? And we have these what next questions, but it's always, God, what is your will for me? We all want to know what God's specific, or how about this word, unique will for our lives, don't we? I mean, I do. I want to know, God, I'm here for 70, 80 years if I'm lucky. What do you want me to do? What next? And some of us are saying, I don't care about the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I need to know next week, what do I do? What's next, God? But here's the reality. God doesn't always tell us what's next, does he? In fact, here's what I want to do. As we get started on this idea of active faith, active living, we're going to have to start at the place where it all begins because the fact is a lot of us don't know what's next. We just need to know what's now. And here's the big idea. When you don't know God's unique will, meaning his specific unique will for your life, when you don't know that, you need to follow his universal will. When you don't know God's unique will for your life, You follow his universal will. In fact, it is as you are obeying his universal, you say, what does that mean? Universal is God's big will for all people, places, and times. You you follow that. And as you follow God's big will, his universal will, it's amazing that as you obey his big will, his universal will, he begins to show you as you have followed the universal will, his unique will for your life. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to grab your Bibles because I'm going to take you to four passages. These are the four places in the New Testament where God, through those he inspired to write or speak, tell us four times, this is God's will, God's will, God's will, God's will. There's only four places in the New Testament where you will find these phrases. So if you don't know where else to begin, start with these four. This is God's universal will for every person in this room. And I promise, if you will lean in, you, when you leave this morning, will know more fully what God's will is for you. And as you follow it, you may be surprised how he then reveals his unique will for you as you obey his universal will. So the very first one I want to take you to is in John chapter 6 and verse 40. These are the words of Jesus Christ. Notice this, for my Fathers, what's this word? Let's try this again. What's this word? Will. So my father, God, so for my father or God's will is that, notice this, everyone who looks to the son, notice this phrase, and believes in him shall have eternal life and will raise them up at the last day. The first will of God, write this down, is to believe in in Jesus. This morning, if you're not sure what God's unique will is, go back to his universal will. His heart for you is that you would believe Jesus. Now, what does it mean to believe something? See, there's different layers of belief, right? We, we all understand this. We have different understandings of belief. Let me pull out my handy-dandy illustration. We've talked about this before, but let's do it again. There are three layers of, de- of belief. The first layer of belief is what we might call information belief. So you come along and you say, hey, Josh, there's this thing called a chair. It's a magnificent piece of equipment, this chair. You can sit your little self on this chair, lean against the back, 
And it will hold you up. It will literally support the weight of your life. Isn't that amazing? And I hear you say that, and I say, well, you know, I've never experienced a chair or seen a chair, but you tell me this, I believe you. So that's the first level. It's information belief. Is that what the Bible is talking about, that you just have heard information about Jesus and belief? No, 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 it's deeper than that. Well, see, there's another layer to belief. There's the information, but the next layer is what we might call the observation belief. This is where someone says, but Josh, not only that, let me show you a chair. Here is a chair. And maybe the person comes and they sit down in the chair and they're like, oh man, it's so comfy, it's padded. So in case your padding is not sufficient, this padding will help. (laughs) Anyone? Okay. And so they sit down. It goes from informational belief to observational. You've now seen it in action. But that's still not what... The call is here. God's will for you is not simply to know about Jesus, and it's not even for you to see other people trusting Jesus. Do you see where we're going here? The deepest level of belief of faith, we might call it, is not where you simply hear about Christ, not where you simply see others engaging their faith, but where you come and you put the full weight of your life on Jesus. You entrust the fullness of your life, the weight of everything you carry, you come back and you say, I'm going to trust that he can support everything I'm trying to carry. That is God's first will for you and me. And I got to tell you, this is a lifelong process. There are days where I do pretty well. I come along and I just, I can pull my feet up. I trust him. And there are other days I won't, I just need to be honest with you. There are other days that I kind of, I kind of do this like, God, can you, can you, can you really be trusted with with what I'm dealing with? Can you carry? Am I going to fall if I trust you on this one? God, I I mean, money is tight. Can I trust you with that? I'm not not sure. Can I trust you there? Well, God, God, my marriage has been tough. We've been locked away with each other for five months. When we said, I do, and she said, she did, we didn't expect this. I mean, five months. I mean, can, can can I trust you with the weight of my marriage? God, can, can I trust you with my health? I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Can I, can I tr- The first will of God is that you and I would increasingly entrust the full weight of our lives to Jesus. Do you follow me, family? So maybe a question this morning, the first place to begin is God. Do a little survey of your life. Do an inventory and ask yourself, what areas of your life do you have a, this morning, to be honest, am I struggling with putting the full weight of my life on Christ, can I trust him? Do I truly believe in him? That's the first level because here's the thing. As you entrust the weight of your life to him, God will begin to show you more. See, as we engage the universal will of God, God begins to show us his unique will for our lives. Here's the second one from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. After we believe, the second one is this. Chapter 4, verse 3, it says, it is, say these two words with me really, really loud on the count of three. You ready? One, two, three, God's will that you should be sanctified. Sanctified. All right, welcome to church. We're going to get into some big $10 church words. You ready? Sanctified is one of those words that you hear and it makes you feel smart, but most of us have no idea what that word means. How are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm sanctified. I'm glorified. I'm deified. I'm, uh, what? What does this mean? Well, well, he explains it. The word sanctified, if you come all the way down here, means to be made holy. 
It is God's will that you would become holy. What does holy mean? It means to basically be set apart from the world, not be like the world, but be like Jesus. That's all it means. It is God's will that you would look like Jesus. You say, great, how do I do that? Do I need to grow like an epic beard? Or, or, you know, maybe get the long hair and then get it, you know, permed just like in all the pictures of Jesus because he's got massive locks with a perm look to it. It's great. Does that what it means to look like Jesus? No, not at all. To be holy, to be pure and perfect. One of the ways Paul says, I want to make this incredibly tangible. You believe in Jesus Christ. Number two, notice this. It's God will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. He doesn't want any of us to be unclear as to what God is calling us into. The universal will of God is that we would become like Jesus. And Paul starts with our our sexuality because it is so fundamental to who we are. And it is impossible to be following the universal will of God and yet rebellious or living differently with just the, the way we've been made, our, our, you know, I'm a man or a woman, uh, you know, the, the interest. In, so he says, avoid sexual immorality. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to know that you are following the will of God, open to God, unlocking and clarifying his unique will for you, part of that means that we grapple with, that we wrap our arms around our sexuality, and that we avoid sexual immorality. Now, I know this makes so many of us nervous when we talk about this, especially in church, especially with little ears. So I'm going to try to be delicate here. But I want to say this to you as your minister, but also as your brother in Christ. If we can't talk about the most important things in our lives in church, where can we talk about them? Let's not leave it up to our schools or our media or our friends to teach us what it means to love God or live into who he's made us to be. Let us be bold enough and courageous enough to have the conversations because people need to know it. And let me just start here. If this is you, if you're kind of going, oh no, I've struggled with this. I've seen things. I've done things. I've said things. I've participated in things. And ah, deep breath. There is not one sin that you have committed for which Christ did not first die. Let me put it this way. God saw before you were born everything you would ever do, even the things you're embarrassed about, ashamed of, and he said, I'm going to die for that sin as well. And on the cross, I will wash it clean. You don't have to carry the burden. Now, I don't want you to live in it because I want to set you free, he says, but you don't have to live in guilt or shame over it. So listen, I just want to start here. If this is something, if you kind of go, I've struggled with this, I'm just going to tell you, welcome to Clear Creek you are among good company for we all struggle with sin. So you need to know that this is a safe place to tell where you're struggling, that God loves you so much that you can come right as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. So you're not alone. God forgives and we'll walk with you. How's that? Is that a good deal? That's what this means to avoid sexual immorality. You say, well, what does this little word avoid mean? Real simply this. It means to go around, to get away from, to do whatever you have to, to get some distance. Here's what I mean. Young men, if your phone is the portal to something it ought not be, get away from it. Maybe you need to get rid of that smartphone and go back to one of the dumb phones. You know, one of the ones that just like calls people. 
Some of you don't even know what those are. Okay, they used to be a phone had buttons, like physical buttons. You push them, and then it had a little green button that was to send a phone call or a red button to hang up. That was it. Do you guys even know what I'm talking about here? Anyone? They still make them. So maybe you have to do that if you want to avoid that which will destroy your life. And this isn't just for us adults, is it? Guys, look, we've got to be careful with our kids. Our kids are precious. Can I get an amen from anyone here? Man, our kids are precious. Let me just talk to the mamas and daddies here. A few things, parents. First thing you need to know, everyone, put this up on screen, everyone has a plan for your kids. So we need to have plans for our kids as well, don't we? You need to know what your plan is for your little kids for your little boy, your little girl, you say, well, well so, so how do I do that? Why? Here's why. Sacred information must come from you. You are God's gift to your children to instruct and direct them. And he's given you and me the sacred task of sharing sacred information. It is not my children's teacher's job to teach my kids what's sacred and important. That's my job. And listen, other people can help, but I'm going to be the one to primarily teach what is right and what's wrong. And here's the third thing I would tell you. We need to start younger than we think because our kids are being hit with this stuff sooner than we realize. Now, this isn't to scare anyone. In fact, there's a lot of great resources, and we'll partner with you. But let me give you one resource. Moms, dads, grandparents, if you care for kids, here's a resource we use in the Diggs house, and we love it. Great resources, God's Design for Sex. It's four little books. They're age-appropriate. In fact, you can almost see right here, it says ages three through five. This one is like five through eight, so on and so forth. It goes all the way up into teenage years. But here's the big idea. Age-appropriate, God-honoring. You read it, read it before you read it to them. Otherwise, you'll giggle through it, and that just really blows. I did that first. I'm like, <laughs> it, it doesn't help, okay? So read through it a few times. But this will help you in the conversation starters to help your children walk with Jesus well in this area. So God's will for you, again, number one, believe in Jesus. Number two, avoid sexual immorality. Be holy because God loves you and he has a good purpose for you. But number three, this comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. Notice he says, look, you want to know God's will? His will is that you would be a rejoicing praying, thanksgiving in all kinds of circumstances person. That is God's will for you and me. In fact, notice these words, always, continually, in all circumstances. You say, when's a good time to pray? Look, there are two good times to praise and to prayer and to worship God. You want to know what those two times are? When you feel like doing it and when you don't feel like doing it. It is always a good time. In fact, God's will, hear me now, if you don't know what God's will is today, as soon as you leave this church building as the church itself, you go, and this week, you worship Jesus a little bit. You celebrate him. By the way, you say, well, what does that look like? You rejoice. This word just means to delight in something. We had donuts as a family a couple days ago. They're fantastic. We went to Tasty Donuts. Anyone else here been to Tasty Donuts before? The weight of that box was terrifying. <laughs> Tasty donuts, we did this, and my kids were so excited about it. One of them, I won't say which, one of them started doing a little happy dance when they got to eat their donut. They were delighting in the donut. Listen, the one who gave you the taste buds is worthy of that little dance as well. Amen. Delight in the Lord. Prayer is simply a conversation with God, so talk to him. You say, well, how do I talk to him? 
open your mouth and let words fall out. Yeah, 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 but aren't you supposed to say these and thous and fathers and all that? No, that's weird. Talk to God the way you talk to your best friend. Well, I don't talk very much. Great. Then just say, hey, I'm glad to be with you, God. Have a great day. Talk to him. Delight in him. Give thanks. What is thanks? Thanks is simply appreciating what has been done for you. What has God done for you? How many of you woke up this morning? Let me see a hand raised. That's not a trick question, anyone, okay? Uh, How many of you are taking a breath, even if it is through a scratchy mask? Um, How many of you were able or had the privilege of being able to eat something this morning if you were hungry. How many of us had clothes to put on? But not just any clothes, you had choices. And some of you had so many choices, you didn't know which choice to choose. And you stood there going, mm-mm, no, mm-mm, no, mm-mm, no. Ooh, that's the 80s. And you just kind of, God is so good. God is so good, family. And it is his will that you would say, you are good, God. Thank you, and my gracious, that you'd give me life, that you'd allow me to live where we live, have what we have, and even to experience a difficult season, which I know ultimately will cause me to turn my eyes more towards you and trust you more. Thank you, God, you are good. It is God's will that you believe in Jesus Christ, avoid sexual sin, and that you would, put this up on screen, that you would give praise prayer, and thanks in every circumstance. Do do you see? This is God's universal will. And as you're doing this, God will then say, okay, as you obey in these areas, I'm going to give you clarity on the other areas that are unique to you. But start here. You want to know what's next? God is saying, what's now? Don't worry about what's going to happen. Worry about what he's already called you into doing today. And that leads us to the fourth and final one from Second or First Peter chapter two. It's this little phrase: "Do good, do good." For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. God's will for you and me is to do good. In Acts chapter ten, Peter is visiting this man named Cornelius. He is not a Jew, but he is a God fearer. He wants to follow God, and so Peter talks to him about who this God is. And in describing him, he says that this Jesus went about doing good. What would it look like? If when someone was given a one-sentence definition of your life, the phrase they said about you was, oh my gracious, Jim, he goes around doing good. Wow. But boy, I tell you what, Bart, he goes around doing good. Oh, oh my, Todd, he goes around doing good. What if that was what people said? Kayla, she goes around doing good. What if that is what people knew us by, that we were a group of people because we believe in Jesus, we're walking increasingly in purity, we are a praise-oriented people, but we don't just talk about it, we go and do something about it. See, I want to know what's next, and Jesus said, I'll worry with what's next, you worry with right Now, I've already told you what to do today, church. You want to know God's unique will? Go back to God's universal will for your life. Does this make sense to anyone here today? Now, here's the big question then. Now, I want you to know we're about 15 minutes early. That thing's off, okay? Here's the big question. 
If this is God's will for you and me, let's do a little assessment. How are we doing in obeying and following God's universal will for our lives today? So this would be a moment just to consider, am I, as a follower of Jesus, increasingly putting the full weight of my life, my worry, my care on him? Remember what scripture says, cast your burdens on him, for he cares for you. Am I increasingly walking in purity? Are there things that I, I, I need to let go of because they have grabbed hold of my soul? Am I a person whose first response is to complain or to praise? And when I get worried, do I turn on the news and listen to what they have to say or do I go to the Father and tell them about it in prayer? And by the way, Am I a person who makes time to do good? Listen, doing good is not just for your family, although I hope it begins in your family. But my question is, this week in your job, where can you do some good? In your schools. By the way, I was talking to a young man, I can't see him, but who's going into second grade, and he said, I'm a little nervous about it. But hear me, my question, it's okay to be nervous, but question, how are you going to do good in school this week? How are you going to be a blessing to your teacher? How are you going to make that space better? See, it doesn't take you being out of school to do good. It can happen now. Let me ask you a question in your neighborhood. How are you going to be a person who does good this week? Or maybe a broader question, just not if you agree with this. Do you agree that our world could use a little more good in it these days? What about our city of Chattanooga? Do you think there's room for a little more good here? Maybe? See, God will show you his unique will for your life, but I have found in my life it always happens as I'm walking, following his universal will. I want to know what's next. He says, Joshua, you focus on what's now, and I'll deal with what's next. Friend, you deal with what's now, what he's already told you to do, and God will show you what's next. You want to know what it looks like to live an active, hope-filled, hope-giving, God-honoring, redeeming kind of life? Follow the wills of God that he's already revealed. Believe in Jesus. Be holy. Give thanks, prayer, and praise, and do good. And as you do, I want to hear the stories of how God shows up in your world this week.